I would like to especially welcome those that are watching us um, from your various places. We are living in amazing times. Someone is wondering, why am I saying amazing times? Isaiah chapter number 60 and verse 1. The Bible says, Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And it goes on to say, Surely thick darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. So you may be saying, no, but we're living in dark times. We are told about these times. And the Lord said, I've told you these things because in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I want you to do me a favor. From where you're watching, uh, I know we're using different devices. Some are using phones. Some are using tablets. Some are using laptops. Some are using smart TVs. Some are using PS4s. Uh, just various devices. I want you to take a screen grab or a photo of yourself and the device that you're using. And I want you to send it to our platforms just to show that you're watching with us. Take a screen grab, take a photo, uh, do something like that. Praise the Lord. And just say, um, I'm, I, 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 I'm participating in church today. Satan thought people would not participate in church. Little did he know that there is a generation that has decided, come what may, no matter what platform, church is church. I would like to especially welcome both the Lusaka COL branch and the Kitwe COL branch who have all joined us live, um, who have all joined us for this live online session. I would like to especially welcome our Facebook audience, our YouTube audience, and those who are listening to the podcast. I welcome you. In case you've never felt welcomed, I welcome you. And I want to tell you something. I miss you all. I cannot wait for the next time we meet and we'll dance and we'll praise God. I think we might just have a celebration service the entire time because church is not the same without you. I'm going to, I would like to also thank the special service units who have put this service together. And I'm sure you've seen one or two of them in this auditorium. They came to ensure that we've got the best, uh, uh, the, the best things <laughs> in place for us to have this service. This morning, I'm going to continue with what I've been sharing. And if you're listening to me for the first time, I want you to take your time to go through our podcast. Just search for Apostle Frederick Kaluluma podcast. You'll be blessed. And last week, we defined grace as undeserved favor. And this week, we're going to go into another definition of grace, and we'll see how far we can go with it. That's why I, was, I, I sang the song I sang earlier, because I've tasted grace. I don't know about you, but I've tested grace. Praise the Lord. So John chapter number 1, verse 17, the Bible says, 
for the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And you can James, please. It says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter number 2, verse 8, the Bible tells us that you have been saved by grace through faith. So for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So grace is a special gift that God has given us. And this morning, I'm going to take my time to define grace another way. So we defined it as unmerited favor. This morning, I would like to bring up to you, dear saints, that grace is a divine exchange. Grace is a divine exchange. Grace tells us what he became so that we should become. I'll say that again. Grace shows us what he became so that we should become. There is something that he became so that we should become something. I want you to understand that Jesus did not suffer for nothing. Jesus did not suffer for free. Refuse to let the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ be in vain. Do not let it be in vain. Refuse that. Because Jesus did not suffer for free. Everything he became was so that we should become something. And we're going to take our time to go through one or two of these things. Number one, he became, a, he became sin that we might become righteous. I want this to sink in. I want it to sink in. I want us to understand something. I want us to understand that Righteousness and sin are not necessarily actions, but they are in nature first. The Bible tells us in John chapter number 1 and verse 6, we are shown something very interesting. John 3 and verse 6. The Bible tells us that that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That shows you that when a human being is born out of their mother and father, they are born out of the flesh. And when they are born out of this flesh, they are born with the inherent nature of sin. Where did that sin come from? Adam. That sin came from Adam. And the Bible tells us that the works of the flesh are obvious. That's Galatians 5.19. It tells us they're obvious. There are certain things that happen, there are certain things a person will naturally do because they're a person of the flesh. They're obvious. But then Jesus was introducing a concept to Nicodemus in John 3, 6. He was introducing a concept of being born again, being born of another nature. He was not telling him to try and put away the filthy things 
and the like. No, 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 that's not what he was saying. He was telling him to literally be born of a new nature. And he says that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So meaning, if a person is born of the spirit, they are born of a particular nature. We, we, we see this in John 1 verse 12. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become. Have you seen that word there? Become. Meaning they weren't before. So to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. And we are told what kind of children these are. The Bible says, children who were not born of blood nor of the will of the flesh. So it's a birth that's not connected to the birth of the flesh. It's not, it, it, it produces a creature who is not connected to the flesh. It says, not of the will of man, but of God. What does that mean? That this person that becomes as a result of receiving Jesus becomes a product of God. So that means they've got God's DNA. That means they've got God's attributes. You know, that poses a question, eh? One of the biggest questions which I've had to answer, which sometimes we know but we never really meditate on, was, is, who is, the real, who is the real you? Who really is you? Who is you? Who are you? So many times we'll say things like, my spirit is saying. I wonder why we're referring to the real us as the third person. It's interesting that we choose to relate more with the flesh than we relate with the spirit. You find somebody will say, my spirit is saying that I will be healed. But that's a little different from saying, I am saying that my body is healed. There's a difference there. Who is the real you? When you discover who the real you, there are certain statements you stop making. For example, you stop thinking you'll die one day. How? How can that which is born of God die? Wait, have you ever seen what, this, what Jesus said when he was raising Lazarus? What did Martha ask him? Martha asked, saying, I know he'll resurrect on the final day. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of, and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he was dead, will come back to life. And he that believes in me shall never die. Who is he talking to? Who is the real you? What does God consider as the real you? And you know something? If you can understand who the real you is and relate with yourself from that position and bring out from the real you into your soul and into your body, you'll be in a better place. So who's the real you? Who are you? We'll get to that. Because that's a whole series on its own for dealing with the human spirit. The Bible calls God the father of our spirits. Interesting, they didn't call him the father of our flesh. He calls him the father of our spirits. 
I was reading the book of Genesis, eh? And have you realized that before God talked about gender, he talked about man? He talked about something more real. Look at it. Genesis 1 verse 26. It says, now let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, over the sea, the birds of the air, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. Uh-huh. So God created man in his own image. Notice the repetition. In the image of God, he created he, him. Male and female, he created them. There was something he created before he even created male and female. There's something bigger. There's, there's the real you. And by the way, when you discover that, that's when, if you're not saved, you want to be saved. Because you realize that there is a you that you're not tending to. When Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, who was he referring to? There's another man he was referring to, the more important one. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. There is a real you. We'll get to that. I'm going ahead of myself. But there is something that Jesus became for you and I to become. Now, what did he become? That's the question. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 21. You know, sometimes you hear people say, you know, Jesus carried our sins. That's okay, but it's not complete. You know, Jesus um, interacted with our sins. That's okay, but it's not complete. Remember when we talked about the atonement, when the person would get the lamb and lay hands, the lamb became the sin of the person. The lamb literally became the sin. And that's why it could be given as a sin offering. So what does the Bible really say Jesus became? This is what the Bible says. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. Jesus became sin. How many of you have observed that before Jesus went to the cross, for the first time, we saw him hesitate? How many remember? He went and said, take, take this cup away from me. Take this cup away from me. What do you think caused Jesus to hesitate? Do you really think he was afraid of the nails, as painful as they were. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible shows us why Jesus hesitated very easily in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Something was going to become different about the way he was going to relate with his father. It says, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Jesus had a godly fear. Oh my, there are so many things, there are so many things that I want to say, but I need to stick to the topic and to the time. Because right now, I was about to talk about the concept of death. 
Because what we perceive as death is that what God sees as death. Have you ever thought about that? When, when Jesus was being asked testing questions in the book of Mark, and he was told about um, who this person marry after they finished seven brothers, Jesus said, you are in error because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. And then he went on to say, for it is said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not the God of the dead, but of the living. So he was referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as living. Because death is really separation. For the body to survive on earth, the spirit and the soul need to be in it. So when the body comes to a place where it can't be habitable, the spirit and soul separate from the body and we call that body dead. But in essence, what God considers death is separation from him. In essence, what God considers death is separation from him. So if a person is separate from God, they are dead. Okay, let's continue. But now, let's look at what this says in the Amplified. I want you to see what caused Jesus a horror movie. Now, we'll skip all the way to say, who was always able to save him from death? And he was heard because of his reverence towards God. Look at this. His godly fear, his piety, in that he shrank from the horrors of separation. You see that word again? Separation. He shrank from the horrors of separation from the bright presence of the Father. Now, our God is holy. That means when Jesus became sin, the Father had to look away. That's why at the cross, for the first time, Jesus didn't say, my father, my father. What did he say? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That means there was a separation. And for Jesus, that was the most painful thing. To have a moment where he's separate from the father. So Jesus experienced the most painful thing he could experience so that you should experience the most glorious thing you can experience. There is something about being connected to the Father. I remember, you know, the other morning, I woke up and I was walking down the passage and I lifted my hands. I was just singing, you are here. And I was like, oh, wow. I, I, I was saying to myself, I never want to lose this. This is precious. The fact that I can lift my hands and I know he's there. It's precious. It's precious. It's precious. Ooh, ooh. It's precious. Never lose that. Never put that at stake. Be jealous over that. Guard it. But that's what Jesus became. That's the extent he reached. He became sin. So all the filth you can think of, all the dirt you can think of, he became that at the cross. Why? So that we should become something. Second Corinthians 5.21. Let's read it again. So it says, God made he who had no sin to become sin. So that we might become. Are, are, are you getting this? 
Christianity is about becoming something. It's not just about believing, it's about becoming. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes shall not perish but have. You see that? They go from believing to having. They have it. We're not just believing for it. We are not trying to be something. We're not hoping to be something. There is something we have become. And if you're not listening, if you're listening and you're not born again, you have an opportunity to become as well. There is something we have become. And if we are to speak of ourselves as anything less, would be insulting the grace of God. Because there is something we have become. The day I was born of my father and mother, I became a Mr. Kaluluma. No matter what anyone could do with my first name, the last name was already set. It was Kaluluma. Nothing could change. And if anyone was to change it, they would be denying me my right. I didn't ask for it. I became it. When I was born in this nation, I had rights just because I was born in this nation. My friends, you've been born into a kingdom. Notice how when Jesus said, talked about being born again, he said, unless one is born again, they cannot see the kingdom. So meaning, the point was not being born again, the point was the kingdom. And the being born again was an entrance into this kingdom. Somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. Say one more time. Okay. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So I want us to understand what Jesus became. Now, I want us to understand something. I want us to go to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 16, and we'll also read verse 15. No, 16 and 17. Let's start from verse 15. Now, the Bible says, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, who's that man? That's Adam. And so we're being told, if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. What this is saying is, if we believe many died through one man called Adam, they didn't have to do anything, then why can't we be as radical to believe that through one man's righteousness, many became righteous? Why can't we be as radical to believe that? Let's go on. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. 
For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. When he talks about many offenses, that shows you what he became. He became many offenses. And what has it resulted in? Justification. Let's go on. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment and just praise God for that one. Praise the Lord. Now, here is my challenge for you. My challenge is as follows. Why are we so radical to believe that one man's sin can contaminate the whole world? But we are not as radical to believe that one man's obedience can save the whole world. Why should we be so radical to believe the inherent sin, but we cannot be as radical to believe the inherent righteousness? That which is born of God cannot be born a sinner. That which is born of God is born righteous. You are not a sinner saved by grace. No, that's not true. You were a sinner. You died with Christ. And then you were born into righteousness. That's what the grace of God has done. If the grace of God still leaves you a sinner, how can that be grace? Praise God. Praise the Lord. I'll say that one more time because I want it to sink. If we believe we could all be made sinners through the first Adam, then surely we must believe we can all be made righteous through the second Adam. And the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 45, look at what we are told. We are told, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And what are, what are we told? John 3, 16. Uh, Whosoever believes shall not perish, but have what? Life. That's what's being given to us. Not the life which Solomon described as vanity. No, we are talking about the Zoe life. We are talking about that life of God. That one which exists forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And ever. It's not vanity. The one you receive from Adam, maybe, but not this one. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I said, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So I want you to say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, there are many who believe that there is no unrighteous. They've not, they've, they've, I've, I've said it before, they've just not read other scriptures, eh? But let me show you one. First John chapter 3, verse 7. I want us to see this. Little children. I was reading this this morning. I've read it for many years, but there's something I saw this morning. So it says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. That shows you that if you believe there is no unrighteous, you are deceived. He says, let no one deceive you. It's a deception which people spread to celebrate and defend their lifestyle of sin. If you're on social media, you'll notice someone will do something really stupid. 
I'm not using that word lightly. Because you've been seeing some of the stuff going around on social media. Someone will do something really, really, really diabolical. And the next day they'll start posting, hey, we are all sinners. It's just that me, my sins are public. Deceiving. That's deception. And they are deceived themselves. And you know, there's a warning in the Bible that be careful to ensure that the light in you is not darkness. That's what Jesus' word. So the person actually, and it's the worst kind of ignorance, where you're ignorant of your ignorance. Very bad ignorance. It's a disease. So he says, let no one deceive you. He that practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Now look, if we have taken time to meditate on a righteous man shall fall seven times, and surely shall rise again, and no one has trouble with us reading it then we shouldn't have trouble with reading this verse, should we? Let's go on. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. But there is good news. It says, for this reason, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Which work? Sin. Next verse. It gets deeper. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, it starts with does, then goes to cannot. When, when, when you see the word cannot, that's worse than does not. Let me tell you why. It's like saying, if the creature is a cat, it cannot bark. Why can't it bark? Because it is not a dog. So whoever is born of God, does he cannot sin. But pastor, three days ago, that's the problem. You are walking in the flesh. Hasn't the Bible told us that walk in the spirit and you shall not? It didn't say you might not. It didn't say sometimes you won't. It says you shall not. So meaning as long as you walk in your true nature, you shall not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why can't we start meditating on such scriptures? Because don't forget the word of God makes you what it talks about. Why can't we meditate on such? Say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Someone say, Pastor, I got born again yesterday, but I've got a problem. My problem is I keep going to nightclubs, I keep chasing after women and doing all that stuff. I've got an idea for you. This Friday when you, praise God, they've been closed. But this Friday, if you want to do that in the morning, start by saying, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. On the cab, on the way, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you meet that lady, when she says, how are you? Say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Tell me if you do that stuff. <laughs> That's, I'm the righteousness. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Those homies who keep inviting you to those places, when they text you, respond, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, you'll never walk in the true realization of that which you've not appreciated, confessed, and grabbed a hold of. Don't let this be in vain. Jesus became sin that we might become righteous. He didn't become half of sin. That's why we don't become half his righteousness. I'll say that again. He didn't become quarter of our sins. He didn't become just a bit. And, and you know, sometimes, sometimes you hear, hey, 
that's, now, that's an everyday prayer. It's one thing to pray that when getting saved. If that's your everyday confession, and that's why we must be careful what we are confessing. We must take it what we're saying. Every morning when you wake up, yeah, what are you setting yourself up for for the day? For those from other countries who are watching, that's saying, me, I don't mind, I'm using direct translation. Me, when I fall, he lifts me up. Now, imagine you're singing that every day. What are you setting yourself up for every day? Falling. What about singing songs about how he that is able to keep me from falling? <laughs> Let's go to the second and last one for the day. He became a curse so we can be blessed. He became a curse so we can be blessed. The biggest curse, personally, that I've seen in the scriptures is the curse of the law. I don't think you can find many bigger ones. I'm saying this because the curse of the law is that if a person does not obey it, they are subject to condemnation. It's got nothing to even do with witchcraft. It's the curse of the law itself. And I want us to see Galatians chapter number 3, verse 13. The Bible says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Let that sink in. He became so we could become. I want you to know that disobedience to the law has curses. There, there, there are multiple things people do that bring curses on themselves. Let's just, let's look at it a bit. Deuteronomy. You know, whenever I would read Deuteronomy chapter 28, I would read the first part, and then I would go to the next chapter. Because the second part, hey, even today I won't even read all the verses. The second part is scary, because it's not the devil talking, it's God. Verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter number 28, and verse 16. Hey, let's start from verse 15. <laughs> That's why I say, if you've got that habit of you just open the Bible and whichever verse, that's, your, that's what God is saying to you that day. You might find yourself in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 16. So it says, you shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now, let's be honest. There is none of us who obeyed fully. Ah. Uh -huh. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall your basket and your needing bowl. Productivity cursed. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body. Suddenly having bad children. And the produce of your land. And the increase of your cattle. And the offspring of your flocks. No, he didn't leave anything untouched. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. I don't even want to go... <laughs> Okay, let me just read two more. <laughs> the Lord shall send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuking all that you set your hand to do, 
until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. How many of you have seen that in the world? The world can spend 10 years building the stock markets. Boom! It crashes. 10 years building the fortunes. Boom! The Great Depression. Haven't you seen that in the world? The world can build the stock markets for hundreds of years, and then in one minute, some small thing can just drop all the, small, all, all, all the stock markets of the world. Just one tiny thing. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going for this fish. <laughs> There's one more I wanted to read. Verse 21. Verse 22. Here's another part of the curse. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, with mildew, until they pursue you, until you perish. That's sickness. That's the curse. And you know, I preach to different people, and you find people have got different pasts. Someone may be listening to me and maybe they committed adultery. There's a curse for that. There's a <laughs> it, it's a curse. The Bible says you reap what you sow. Someone may have done ABCD. It's a curse. There are many things that are curses that bring curses and abominations. Who then can save us? There are things that our fathers practiced, which the Bible told us that if people practice those things, there would be curses on the land. Maybe there are people that hated God because there's a curse for hating God. That's the one that goes to the fourth and third generation if you read the Bible properly. Praise God for Jesus. Because look at what the Bible says. I went into detail because sometimes if you don't understand the magnitude of what he became, you will not appreciate what you've become. Before the curse, by the way, he taught them blessings. So that means if you follow Jesus, what do you access? The blessings. But let's go back. Now let's go to Galatians 3 verse 16. Again. Which verse are we in? Verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. All those things, all those things that we mentioned, he's redeemed us from them. You may be listening to me and everything you see about your past is horrible. Things that attract curses and curses. Let me tell you something. When Jesus died, he became a curse for you. It says... Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So meaning the ultimate, the ultimate thing when you are cursed is to be put on a tree and hang there, and he became that. Next verse. Why did he become that? Look at this, it explains it. That the blessing of Abraham might come Upon who? The Gentiles. Why, the, why does it mention the Gentiles there as well? Because the Gentiles were those who practiced diabolical practices. They worshipped anything that could be worshipped. Paul once went to an area where they made gods out of everything. They even had an altar court to their unknown god. 
Yeah, they had an altar. And you know, sometimes you hear people saying, no, you must research your family history. I can tell you your family history. There was once idol worship. <laughs> Just go generations. There was once idol worship. It's, it's obvious. It's obvious. Come on. Every family, there was once idol worship. But guess what? Praise God for Jesus. He became cursed. Why? So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So meaning now when you are reading about yourself, you go to the blessing of Abraham. Next verse. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant. Yes, if, yet if it is confirmed, no one announces or adds to it. Next verse. Now to Abraham, look at this, it says, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds as of many, but as of one and to your seed. And who is that seed? Christ. And if any man be in Christ. So you are in Christ. And who is Christ? The seed of Abraham. And says, so Abraham and his seed. Next verse. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later cannot allow the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. You may not have understood that. Can I give it to you in another version? Verse, give me the NLT. I want you to understand this. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be cancelled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. In short, the promise of your blessing came even before the law was given to Moses. It came even before. And the Bible tells us that the law was our schoolmaster. It was our tutor. It was tutoring us until we came to a place where we were ready. And now when the son has come, there's no need for the servant. Listen, when Isaac is born, you have to send Ishmael away. I'll say that again. Ishmael may have come before Isaac, but Isaac was promised before Ishmael. So when Isaac comes, Ishmael must go. That's what it's saying. It's saying the promise God made to bless us came before the agreement with Moses about, our, about any curse. So, now somebody may be saying, hey, you may be talking like this, but do some spiritual research. 150 years ago, your grandfather did ABCD. My friend, you're talking about 150 years ago? 430 years before Moses. We're not even talking about... <laughs> we're not even talking about... We've not even yet reached Isaiah. We've not even reached Jeremiah. We've not even reached, we've not even reached Jesus coming. 430 years before Moses, God already gave a promise. And the Bible says, Abraham rejoiced when he saw my day. He saw the day that Jesus would become the curse. He saw the day that the Lamb of God would be crucified instead of Isaac. There is nothing a person can do. There is no altar a person can raise. There is no sacrifice, whether with blood or with money, that can annul what Jesus has done in our lives. There is nothing a person can do that can annul it. There is no curse a person can place on a person who is saved. 
Nothing. Who can curse that which God has blessed? You are uncursable. You are uncursable. And you know what Jesus did? He realigned you to the true generation of blessed, which is the generation of Abraham. That's why now we are told we've come to the spirits of just men made perfect. We are told who we've come to. We are told that we've come to a generation of people who've been blessed. There's been Abraham, there's been Isaac, there's been Jacob. And there's you and me. He became a curse so that we can be blessed. So what are the blessings? Because I noticed we became a bit down when we read the other part. Let's go to the first part. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. Just a few of them. Look what it says. It shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today that the Lord God will set you high above all nations of the earth. What does it tell us? And now for us, praise God for Jesus' obedience because we are in Christ now and he obeyed. What does it say? These blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Next verse. Blessed shall you be in the city. Now you can celebrate. And blessed shall you be in the country. Uh huh. Blessed shall the fruit of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and needing boy, your productivity. Uh huh. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you in one way and flee before you in seven ways. Next, come on, a few more. The Lord will command the blessing on you in all your storehouses and in all which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord is giving you. Everything you set your hand to do is blessed. I want you to say nothing can die in my hands. Nothing good dies in my hands. Come on, let's go on. The Lord will establish you as a holy people. What does the Bible say about us now? You are a royal priesthood. Just as he has sworn to you. Let's see one more. The Lord will grant you plenty of goods. Praise God, this property. In the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land which he has sworn. Next verse. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the works of your land. Listen to this. This is the promise for you. This will get you out of debt. It says, you shall end to many nations, but you shall not borrow. I speak that blessing over you in Jesus' name. Ah. Uh -huh. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you today, and are careful to observe them. This is what you must meditate on. And to prove that these blessings are ours now, Ephesians 1 verse 3. What does it say? Oh, glory, glory, glory. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Not some spiritual blessings, with every spiritual blessing. He became a curse so we can be blessed. Nothing about you is cursed. And you're going to experience this blessing in every part of you. It's already in your spirit. It now has to manifest in every other part of you. Ladies and gentlemen, he became sin so that we can become righteous. He became a curse so that we can be blessed. And you know something? 
the best way to appreciate a gift is to use it. At this moment, I would like to appeal to you. You're listening to me, you're watching me, and you've not given your life to Jesus. I've got something just special to say to you. And what I want to tell you is that Jesus loves you. None of your sins can deter him. He already became sin. He already became a curse. He already took your punishment. And all you have to do is believe in him. I want you to raise your hand from where you're watching. And I want you to say after me. I want you to say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sake. I confess you as my Lord. From this moment on, I'm born again. I'm a child of God. If you've just said that prayer, I want you to type in the comment section. I want you to say, I've just given my life to Christ. Um, maybe you're listening through a podcast. I want you to get in touch with us. Just search for Apostle Frederick Kaluluma. Send a message. It boxes us or post a message. We want to help you with your life in Christ. And now in the name of Jesus, I want you to lift your hands. We're just going to take a minute and appreciate him for what he became so that we could become. And you know the best way we can do that? We'll talk about who we are now. But we know it's not by our strength. None of us can boast. It's because of him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Kurama Shantaya. I'll never be a sorry sight. Thank you, Lord, for what you became. Thank you, thank you, thank you, G. Thank you, thank you.